Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we have our patron saint of Gear 30, Eric Hjorlifsson, back on. And this time, the format is a bit different, because this time, all of our questions are coming from our beloved Blister members, and I have to say, you all asked a ton of really good questions. Now, that means we didn't get through all of them, but listen up in this episode because we are announcing a new initiative where basically you're going to have the chance to ask Hoji those questions of yours yourself. And that's not all, folks, because you are also going to have the opportunity to talk in person with Hoji and go ski with him because he is going to be at our Blister Summit this coming February. And so if you haven't already signed up to come to the Blister Summit, well, my goodness, you get to now ski with Hoji. So we will include a link in the show notes of this episode for you to register for the Blister Summit. You can also just go to our Blister website, and on the navigation bar, it says Blister Summit. You can get all the dates, all the information, all the rest, and so Summit and come hang out with Hoji and the rest of the Blister team, and we'll be talking about some other folks that'll be um, stopping by the Summit as well soon. Now, just one other thing to say. You'll hear that Marcus Ader also submitted some questions for Hoji. We have a full conversation with Marcus dropping this Monday on our Blister podcast. And as you'll hear, this conversation with Hoji is just now like an incredible companion piece with the conversation that's going to be dropping Monday. And so if you have not somehow already subscribed to the Blister podcast Be sure you have subscribed to that so that you get the episode as soon as it drops on Monday. We've got, frankly, two of the best big mountain skiers of all time sort of talking about one another, talking about their time together, talking about their respective approaches to things. It's, frankly, fascinating. So just a heads up on that. And I guess I should also point out, if you are not already a Blister member, well, become one. Because we're going to be doing more of these Blister member only, as we're calling it for now, Blister After Hours shows. You get a discount as a Blister member on our upcoming Blister Summit. And you get a ton of discounts on gear. You get access to our buyer's guides. So you can also go to our website, to the navigation bar, look where it says Blister Member Info, learn more, sign up. Good things are happening around here. It's a good time to be a Blister member. So that's it. Now let's talk to Hoji. Here we go. Well, Hoji, you're back. How are you today and where are you today? Uh, Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, Warm welcome back. It's good to be back. (laughs) Um, I'm sitting in my apartment here in Whistler. It is currently pouring down rain, uh, and we had a glimpse of the mountains earlier this morning, and uh, yeah, there's some snow happening up there. Uh, Mm. So yeah, things are starting to happen. 
just before we hopped on this call, I literally just shoveled my driveway for the first time this year. So with all the signs, all the good signs. Yes. That, that <laughs> makes me very happy. I hope uh, we'll be shoveling here too. But uh, I know where you live, it's a much better climate for snow to stick around right in town there. <laughs> well, and I actually live like literally across the street from the ski area. So it better be snowing at my place or we're, we're kind yeah. of in trouble. So. Yeah, that's a that's a clever move. I, I <laughs> Thank li- you. I live a little bit further than across the street, but walking or biking distance uh, to the ski hill, and that's a very special thing. Childhood dream. Childhood dream. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, speaking of Crested Butte, you're coming out to the Blister Summit 2023. We've talked about this. You were like literally one of the very first people on planet Earth that I told that I was hatching this idea for a blister summit. And then we had something like a global pandemic kind of screw some things up. But uh, happy to say for this upcoming one, you're going to finally, we're getting you back to Crested Butte. uh, That is correct. I am going to be there confirmed and uh, very, very excited. Um, Yeah, it was a little... (laughs) let's say, uh, complicated the last few years. And even last (laughs) year, it it looked like uh, it was going to happen. But uh, yeah, Yeah. so uh, we've moved on from that and uh, super excited. Uh, Looking forward. I haven't been to Crested Butte since probably the fall, summer of 06, when I went down there and visited the Matchstick headquarters and uh, edited, uh, helped with the athlete edit of the Push movie, Push and Pull. Uh, hmm. That's the last time I believe I was there. <laughs> Which is to say, and I wanted to ask you about this, you've never actually skied inbounds here in Crested Butte. Is that correct? No. Yeah, no. I've, I, I've skied in Colorado several times over the past few decades. but. Uh, just the nature of uh, those trips. I, I never made it to Crested Butte in the winter. Um, so that, that should be fun. Looking forward. I, I, I have had this thought for some time that two people on planet Earth in particular were almost like born to ski this particular mountain. And I think it's you and Marcus Kasten. Oh, I got to meet that guy too. I've been hearing his <laughs> name a lot. So I hope he's coming. Gonna... We're t- we're we're working on that, but the just I think there's specific areas of the mountain where I'm like this this has Hoji just written all over it, and then Marcus is just like the entire mountain, like everything front side, back side, whatever. Um, yeah, we we have a few moguls here in CB. I'm getting goosebumps and my <laughs> nerves are tingling just thinking about it. Gonna have to step up my game. Oh, <laughs> that's right. But I like it. That's I right. like a good challenge. We're really going to need you to, I can't believe I was about to say this sentence out loud. I might as well continue. We're really going to need you to step up your game. Yes. You know, Hoj, after all these years of just kind of coasting. Wow. I've gotten, <laughs> I've gotten pretty soft. I'm just a powder skier, <laughs> powder therapy. And uh, what's, what's the saying? My life motto now. I, I love drinking beer and I only ski powder because I don't want to feel anything at all. <laughs> wow 
Uh, Maybe we pivot this Gear 30 episode just into a kind of, we could do a therapy session. Are there some things we ought to get, you should get off your chest? No, no, no. That's, I like this kind of subtle, dark, not so subtle humor, but uh, no, I, I actually, I just came from, uh, I skied almost a full week on the high glaciers in Austria. Um, Hmm. I guess less than two weeks ago and, uh, they were having some, uh, you know, little bits of snow here and there through the past month. And, uh, actually some, not just on like pure glacial ice, cause they had a pretty tough summer with the heat and, uh, yeah, yeah it felt good. It felt good to, even though I didn't have the right equipment, but just really, I, I was inspired. I skied with a, a few, uh, quite a few local shredders from there. And they're just, I mean, they have such a culture of this Alpine finesse and power technique that, yeah. It's inspiring. So I, I get I get to go back in time about twenty five years and remember how to bend my skis. <laughs> I got the angles, I just don't have the pressure. <laughs> okay. I feel like that's maybe not entirely true, but um okay. Well we'll you know, we'll get you doing some inbound skiing in Crest Sibu and backcountry. We're we're yeah. also doing um a backcountry touring component to the summit. So we have Irwin guides going out. And so, um, you know, you can do either, you know, or go real hard in bounds, slam all the moguls. And then maybe the next day you just go on a chill tour. Yeah. Well, and I, even, uh, speaking of resort skiing, I mean, that was kind of one of the, in the last few years, those kind of interesting and strange times where things were, uh, obviously had to be, different um around here we we lost the ability to go skiing on the resort uh pretty early on in the spring which mm-hmm. i mean we were lucky enough just to have the resort open compared to some places in the world and uh so this year it managed uh, to continue on and stay open and uh, i i tried to ski every day and i really got back i mean i was on alpine gear and tech gear and five different pairs of boots and skis and skiing zipper lines with the Solomon team and Mike Douglas right under the chair, trying to chase him down. And, and then we even got a, a couple glorious little powder treats at the end, but uh, yeah, it, it felt good. I, I, I mean, the resort is a, a very fun place. And especially if you take a bit of a sabbatical, like I have for a few years, <laughs> but uh, there's no faking it there. You gotta be, you gotta be on it. So. I like it. Well, we're really looking forward to it. And again, yeah, after um, several years of talking about it now, I'm psyched to get you out here. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's pretty right. good. Here's our mission today. We have a number of questions submitted by Blister members. We're going to go through those. We're going to talk about some other gear stuff going on. And um, I actually think we're really making this up on the fly. I think what we're going to do is maybe start with the blister member questions. And then we're going to end with going over some gear highlights if they haven't already come up in conversation. That's, that's I think, going to be our approach. Now, here's another fun fact. This was originally kind of, we were thinking this was going to be sort of um, a members only podcast Mm. we've pivoted on this idea and literally like i don't know roughly an hour and a half ago 
I think we're going to launch a thing that the working title is Blister After Hours that is just going to be a new thing. All Blister members can join like a live feed and we're just hanging out for an hour, talking to like the Blister team, answering some member questions, talking to some Blister members on the call. And what we're going to do then is I think we'll just have to get you back at some point hanging out with us on a Blister After Hours thing. Because originally... This was sort of the idea, and then we kind of pivoted this out. So, yeah, that is that cool. That's totally cool. I'm happy, uh, happy to join. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a good time. And since we know you like powder skiing and drinking beer, you can just we were a hundred percent permitted to drink beer during the blister after hours session. So we'll figure out when exactly that happens and when exactly these launch. But this is we're announcing this for the first time. This is like a hot off the press idea. And uh, so. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah. Thank you for the invite. And I will be there. <laughs> Perfect. All right. First question from Blister member Steven. What piece of gear is going to change the most in the next 10 years? Hmm. And by the way, while Hoji thinks he has not seen these questions, I've actually barely read these questions. Luke Kappa has read these. So we're both coming in pretty fresh on this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully everything's changing, <laughs> progressing, not just changing for the sake of change. Mm. Um, I'm still waiting, anticipating and thinking about and yeah, fantasizing. Uh, I think there's still a long way to go uh, with, with bindings. Um, I, I can appreciate everything that's happened and it, it more has changed recently than in many decades before. Um, but it's such a difficult, uh, venue to play. It's, it's very regulated, restricted. You have to have real math and science and engineering and, uh, standards are are hard to change and patent the patent game is just yeah. a dis, not a i won't say a disaster but i mean people need to protect their ideas but it's it almost feels like it's uh preventing things in a way the right combination of things maybe is what we need <laughs> um but i'm optimistic i think uh just what we've seen in the last 10 years with tech bindings that have been around for 35 years mm -hmm. being accepted globally by all brands and manufacturers virtually. Um, and then this kind of hybrid uh, new category that's had a few entries and, and that that's where it's, it's going to continue. Um, of course, if people like what they're getting and, and it gets them kind of doing this both aspects of the sport, easily enough with gear that works for both that's uh that's a that's a big a big one um as far as alpine bindings go i i really i don't know i literally just got a box of look p18s uh about 40 minutes ago and the huh. first ones i've owned since uh i was a ski racer in the mid 90s and i think they're basically the same colors <laughs> except now the brakes are uh up to like a hundred mils or something, but right. um, a wider. You, you can get wider ones, but yeah, um, it would be cool to see more happen 
with Alpine stuff too. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, you're, you're getting into the, the racing world there. And that's something I know nothing about anymore. Um, but yeah, as far as the, that was a long winded answer, I hope bindings are the, the gear that we see some big, uh, let's say progression in, in the next 10 years. Yeah. We're, um, as a small step to this end, we're doing a thing where we have brought in 23 pairs of the same ski. We're mounting them across with like most of the bindings out there just to start getting a baseline of like, can we start telling like a clear performance difference from, you know, so a pivot versus a Tyrolia versus a marker and then you know, a breakdown of offerings from a number of binding manufacturers and just trying to articulate more clearly, um, if we can articulate more clearly a sort of on snow feel and just help like really tease out for people, why should I go this way versus that way? And then um, we have some thoughts about where to take that, but we're kind of starting with, well, let's, you know, eliminate the variable it's the same ski you know and start there and and we'll be able to test these things across different conditions and the rest and um but so we're hoping to start taking some steps toward your vision of uh seeing where we might maybe push bindings yeah i mean that's uh that's super cool that's a lot of effort and there's just so many variables but uh yeah uh, that, I'm I'm curious to see what what you will discover and what what you will make of that information. Um, hopefully, I can check out a few of those pairs maybe when I come oh. visit you guys. One hundred percent. Yeah, we might just lock you up yeah. and, and keep you here <laughs> yes. to help with some of the blister lab stuff we're doing. Um, so, okay, deal. One more question from Stephen here. Okay. Um, what aspect? of gear or equipment do you think people tend to obsess over that really doesn't matter i mean that's that's a tricky that's a harder question yeah it is um i mean start on the ground skis are important bindings are important boots are important outerwear is important ski packs (laughs) what's left helmets and goggles um yeah i don't i don't know maybe ski poles how do you ski, feel about ski poles Ski poles I, are, yeah. I'm a, I like my i'm particular i i like a certain feel in the pole for sure but if i had to leave anything behind and just grab whatever i could find along mm. the way in the world the poles would be uh probably the first item i guess out of hard pieces of equipment like that you need um yeah i mean i i I spent a lot of time on my poles just trying to make different grips and you know see what i see what i actually want and uh but yeah it's maybe that maybe that's the the item i guess that's a good a good uh topic there good point because they're not they're not as critical as everything else dave asks how has your skiing changed as you've gotten older? Where have you found yourself more limited? 
what has improved? How have you had to change your approach? Uh, that's a great question on the topic of aging out, eh? <laughs> uh, he's hinting at something. No, <laughs> you can tell Dave to shut up no, and no, you're no. offended by this question. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's clear. Um, the kind of explosive hard skiing moguls jumps, all, you know, like the stuff in your teenage years and twenties. And it really is like, I don't know that that was big part of my motivation at that time, of course, because it was really such a new thing in skiing didn't it changed so quickly and it didn't previously exist in those in what we know today i would say um but yeah as as i get older um just not willing to take the impacts the vibrations the mm -hmm. this kind of stuff and then also yeah my muscles have have shrunk and my i really miss my springs like i thinking about it a lot like just being able to jump you know, an explosive power uh, that helps so much with skiing. And I've been, been trying to get back a little bit, but I mean, I used to jump on trampolines until from sun up till sundown and then put the work lights up from my dad's garage and jump all night as long until my parents started screaming at me. And uh, I, I wish I had like a 1% of that kind of explosive leg power and core power left <laughs> and it, it's diminishing in the way because of all the ski touring uh all yeah. these endurance these long fibers these your old man strength this kind of grinding it out this the long long haul for the big ben the big payout at the end like when you're young you just don't have that attention span and and uh, your muscles can handle everything your joints and and see so why would you walk uphill all day just have one run you go hit the train park for 50 laps and do a million backflips and <laughs> just carry on but uh yeah i've had to change um my approach of course and and it was a natural thing i really just got into more into ski touring and and being in the mountains and that side of skiing and less the instant gratification of doing the best tricks i mean i recognized pretty quickly that i would never you know, I found what I could physically do and mentally understand in, in especially with jumping and um, even at my prime, like the level that it is today, there's a million 12 year olds out there that are doing way more than I ever could. <laughs> so it's impressive to see. And that's a progression of humanity in, in the world. Um, but yeah, getting back, I mean, just this what we were previously talking about getting back on the resort and skiing some moguls and hitting like I shied away from it naturally just to progress in other ways. But now it's like, I think I can, I gotta, I gotta get some of it back. <laughs> I can't just grind it out all the time in the powder looking for powder. I got to ski. I got to ski too. And, and it's, I, I think I'm not too far gone. Can get some of it back. <laughs> I think. Wow, <laughs> we really need it. We're gonna need to play like emo music yeah. in the background of this episode. Wow, well, um, you gotta have some humor, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You know, I actually this morning recorded a podcast with Marcus Sater, and I told him that you and I were gonna be talking later today, and so I said, "Do you have any questions for Hoji?" and 
He said, well, tell Hoji I said hi, which I've done. Thank you. And then, but a related question, he was like, well, ask Hoji if he feels old. I'm like, what is this piling on? What's happening? <laughs> uh, no. So I guess the yeah, question here is yeah. feel. Do you feel old? I think. I feel, I feel well used and mature. Old, <laughs> old is not quite there yet. I mean, I still yeah. can put my socks on in the morning most days without going grunting and that's, uh, that's a sign of a good day and uh yeah i think hanging out with younger younger friends and chasing people around uh that helps me and and seeing what what's going on around me is uh hmm. keeping me young and i mean i i've seen it in lots of different people i meet like there's two ways to approach it you can prematurely age by just saying you're always old and and this and no. and we all fall into that trap i say it all the time but it's like actually no like the best is when you're with people 20 years younger than you and you're making them sweat and making them chase after you and then you're like yeah that's right buddy come talk to me in 20 years exactly. <laughs> so exactly. you don't want to be cocky and get hurt of course but um i don't feel old yet i just i feel like i put put on some my some good mileage some miles yeah <laughs> so did you answer this part of dave's question the what has improved yeah well i mean that the journey of of skiing and being a lifetime skier and always finding that that's the beauty of that's i think why i'm still obsessed is because there's always something within the activity and sport and and uh industry of skiing that that i just find gravity to fixate on focus on and go with um and it's constantly changing um but yeah i, I mean i'm i think i've gotten a lot better at certain things i've gotten better more experience with you know just dealing dealing with people dealing with groups in the mountains dealing with pro working professionals dealing with my own profession um recognizing what it is i'm willing to do and my risk tolerance and just having a bigger i i think uh a broader view overview of of a lot of the situations you find yourself in um backcountry skiing with people and different different aspects different jobs that i do um and reflecting on that and and trying to learn learn from things, learn from good days, bad days, close calls, accidents, whatever it may be. Um, and maybe that's more of a personal journey than like a certain aspect of something in skiing. But uh, I think skiing is kind of driving that, that personal improvement and evolution. So I'm thankful for that. And uh, I hope it just continues. We've got a couple other questions from from marcus but we'll we'll maybe circle back to some of those <laughs> he can't go all at once right yeah that's right maybe we'll do one more marcus question okay. for now um he says when are you finally moving to austria oh it's yeah it's tough uh i just was there for a, a, quite a good stint and uh, i really like it there um i i like the alps in general i like europe i there's so many things that that exist over there that don't exist in North America. And the same can be said, the grass is always greener and, and so on. Um, I hope to spend a lot more time over there. I, uh, well, I, I have been, 
other than the, the, the past few years, which I still was able to go for a couple, couple times throughout that whole situation, luckily enough. But, uh, yeah, I, I hope things settle down. They they have a lot of trouble over there right now, and we won't get into that. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a very cool place, and anywhere in the world that that has a deeper history, older culture, and especially in a mountainous region, um, I kind of I always feel welcome, and I feel connection when I go to those places with the people that I meet, um, because we just share. A common interest and in canada let's say yes right where i live and where i've grown up there there is that but it's such a niche part of because the countries are so huge with spread out everywhere that it's there's no reason for people to live in the mountains in in north america really like but in the alpine countries in the alps i mean that's the land they have <laughs> and they've been living there in different forms for a long time so it's it's just a different uh different way of doing things or it's more human integration into the mountains and uh, it's cool i like it i told marcus i was like man you might be starting like another international incident <laughs> canadians are gonna rise up and What's this talk of <laughs> what's this talk of Hoji leaving for Austria? It's like Marcus, there's enough international tensions right now. I don't think you need to stir the pot even more. Yeah, no, it's I mean, just feel very lucky to be able to go there, go to Europe for work. And uh I hope to continue to do so and, and uh I mean I get to I get to spend quite a bit of time over there. So it's, I'm in a, in a pretty nice situation that way. Question from Kyle Rooks. What lodge at Golden Alpine Holidays has the best terrain? Which zone have you filmed in the most? And what lodge has the best boys trip story to share? Oh. Three-part question. I mean, a lot of the answers are quick ones there, but I've certainly filmed at Century Lodge the most. Um for a few reasons it's had micro hydro power and a bigger lodge and more conducive to to film crews with all the media gear um so it's a lot easier than everyone cramming into a tiny more typical backcountry hut running generators and stuff everywhere and you literally walk out the front door and there's the lodge sign pillow zone that we film so many things with matchstick and sweetgrass and light suits and it's just kind of a it lends itself to that. That being said, I've, I've filmed at all the other lodges too, and and uh, they all have their special, the thing that makes them better than the other ones. Uh, I would say, um, Sunrise, the first lodge, and we'll go down the range. Sunrise has some of okay. the best link up, like potential when you're there and skiing's pretty good decent stability doesn't have to be perfect you can still do some really fantastic link ups on diff going from one drainage to the next at lots of good tree skiing and uh of course when when it's in good good stability the alpine is, is quite fun as well um so it has some of the best like what you could get out of your days instead of just yo-yoing 
certain things, you can actually put together some really nice tours and some long runs. Um, Meadow's the next one, and Meadow has, it's this deep, dark hole, and it just has the pillow stacks, some of the best ones around, and they're pretty close to the lodge uh, as well. Literally, the run's called the front door. <laughs> and uh, uh, if you want the hardest pillow lines you could ever think of, they exist right there. Um, problem with Meadow is if you don't have the stability, you're underneath. You can be pinned down there pretty, pretty uh, with not much available to do safely. Um, so it's a pillow factory, and you you need you need some stability in your favor. Uh, Vista, not not a ton of tree skiing close or pillows, some more limited, but I've done a lot there later on in the season, especially in the spring and film there for the Hoji film with Marcus. And, yeah. uh, it, it has some of, if not the best, like more Alpine. I mean, the mountains around there aren't huge or anything, but like longer lines, some spines, some shoots, some just beautiful terrain and, uh, kind of neat Alpine Ridge systems that you can access. And there is there is the tree skiing there too, but it's you has to have you have to have uh, decent stability, and you have to be going a bit further uh, from the lodge. It's not not right out the door. And then of course, Sentry. Uh, it's got a bit of everything, and yeah, great filming terrain. Really play more playful pillows. More you can ski there a lot in even in bad bad condition or like bad stability you can you can really mitigate and and ski you know you'll be skiing shorter runs in the trees and stuff but you you can avoid overhead hazard completely there um there's lots of gentle alpine and and fun alpine but not as it's definitely not doesn't have even meadow has has some bigger lines around um but yeah century's kind of got it all uh and i try and live there as much as I can. <laughs> so last part of that question though, was which lodge mm. has the best boys trip story to share? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, they're all probably the, the three kind of more classic lodges are more, you know, where you're hauling your water, you're not much power access. It's like, everyone's crawling over each other. You got your stinky gear hanging. You're drinking beer all together. Like Century is, it's more posh. It's spread out. People can, I mean, you can have a heck of a party there. That's for sure. But it's, it's not this like boys trip, hauling water, cutting the wood. And maybe, maybe the, the classic three are, are more what I would say boys trip. The other one's more like bring your, bring a bunch of friends and girlfriends and wives and everyone. Like you can do whatever. How, have different groups you just have more space just the it's too nice for boys you need girls there actually and i'm trying to mandate that with the uh, ownership back (laughs) next question from joe back to bindings what binding do you use for the majority of your touring and how do you prioritize weight versus downhill performance 
versus safety and reliability in a tech binding. Yeah, I'm I'm the worst. <laughs> this is the this is a bad bad question <laughs> for me. Dean, if it's gonna be shaking their heads and fingers, um, I I'm just stuck. I'm in a I'm in a time time uh, warp, or I I just keep hanging on to my the stuff that I know and like, and uh, I like the classic, the low tech stuff. I the radical one topies have had very good, almost no problems with that. As far as breaking, I mean, yes, I lock it when I want. And you can't recommend that to anyone. That's not how it's intended to be used. Uh, but certain situations and personal choice, that's what it comes to. But in, yeah. in powder skiing, I mean, my setup is for what I try to do most of the time. I'm on 122 Renegades with like the classic... I would say the low tech, the Dinafit bindings from when I started and then 2012 minimized, you know, kind of the speed turn approach, simple. Uh, I don't typically never even use heel risers, so I, I don't want any of that. And uh, I we've covered that ground I, on past, yeah. past gear 30. I like having independent, uh, I like, like a binding the heel piece to have the X and Z vertical and side release uh, that you can tune and set at the same, you know, all the, there's a lot of the, really the original low textile bindings with this U horseshoe uh, spring for the, the pins, uh, which are super effective and lightweight. But in the past, there's been bindings that are, it's pretty mismatched. You can set the rotation pretty high and the vertical release doesn't match. Um, for powder skiing on big skis, I also, I don't want to break. I don't need one. I don't want something under my foot. I don't want, I mean, I, it would be nice. Of course, we all know that, but this double fit and the potential of snow packing, like I, I just, I don't want any, anything for snow to pack into. I don't want anything to hold extra weight. I don't want anything to break. Uh, so I'm very minimalist with that. And I use those bindings with the, the plastic shim under the toe not that i want my toe to be higher i just want my uh, boot position ramp angle to be more neutral um so yeah i'm i i just have a mismatch um, a mashup of binding bindings that i put together on all my demo skis and uh but that all that being said i think there are some nice things that are coming down the pipe and will be more aligned to what I would want. I mean, I, I, I always joke with some of the, the folks there at Dina Fitted, I'm like, we, can we just make like the Canadian powder team binding? Just like, cause it, it's not, it's not a, it for, yes, for backcountry skiing on big skis in powder conditions, hopefully that's all you need. And yes, you go to the ski hill and it's not the right thing. And I, yeah. I do it and it's, asking a lot of the binding you're locking it your your heels moving you're destroying it it's it's not what it's not what i would intend it to do um especially on the big skis but i i make it do that more often than i should um 
whereas you go into like more of a radical two rotation with the proper heel base and a proper ski brake that's certified and you know good power a lot better power trans transfer torsionally because of the integrated heel housing and plus the rotation toe piece that you don't have to lock or you shouldn't have to lock as much because it's following your boot but it's just i don't need any of that stuff ski touring and powder and it's a weight penalty and just more complicated so i'm an old dog it's hard to hard to get me out of my my rut my rut (laughs) and an old powder dog yeah powder hound this is probably the part in the conversation where we just remind people they are not you none of us are you so we probably shouldn't be like going out and like people aren't writing down exactly what you the mods you do and they're going to do those too none of us are recommending let's just hoji is hoji none of us are hoji just keep that in mind i mean it's that's a very good thing to say and uh a big part of it is i mean i'm constantly i weigh less than 150 pounds i'm like 145 to 147 every day depending on what time of day i i as i get older i've been measured i've been weighing myself and Hmm. you know that's what like 65 kilos and i'm 170 centimeters tall maybe 173 five foot eight used to be probably a little bit shorter now (laughs) and I try to just avoid impacts because I've had enough of them. I just mm-hmm. jump over things. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I do not represent the average male skier. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Probably closer yeah. to more women. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, you gotta, you gotta figure out what works for you. And also my boots are, 25.5 that makes a big difference yeah. too and the skis i ski on luckily i had a hand in their design are designed to be very robust underfoot and and have quite a bit of stiffness uh in the mid portion of the ski and that was let's say in a way to help with bindings because there's i think there are a lot of skis around that to get a nice friendly even flex uh they probably don't have that same support coming from the ski in the binding area that's just everyone says something no one knows anything but that's something i say (laughs) (laughs) okay question from richard hatton hoji you are famous for taking things into your lab and working on it to make it better. But if you could design one new thing from scratch, what would it be? Oh, I mean, I wish. <laughs> his head is, I just watched your head sort of explode. I'm, I've been doing the best that I can to learn as much as I can. Well, I, I'm really, I can look at everything, but it's hard for me to really retain all the information. But I wish part of my journey is to, to get to the level where I can really start from zero. And uh, yeah, I mean, even in ski boots, which is really where I'm, my main focus is 
and I have in the recent years done a lot more from not absolute zero, but really taking things and not just like tweaking them, but like building what I want. But I have to start with the pieces of existing stuff, unfortunately. So that doesn't truly count. Um, I still would need a long uh, journey and training in in CAD, I think that, and engineering to really, you know, like there's no way I can design a ski binding at all. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not in my wheelhouse. Uh, <laughs> maybe one day. Um, but yeah, like a tangible thing that like, it's hard, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the one thing, okay, so far is the forelock, the hoji hole tail clip bracket mm-hmm. that goes on that that system and working with Jason Leventhal and the team, you know, we went through millions or hundreds of concepts and bad sketches and crude prototypes. But, uh, I mean, I still have it in the notebook, like the drawing, the sectional drawing. And then I have the original one Then I took a piece of aluminum and milled exactly what I wanted and, and started testing it. And uh, it worked, and in the end, what what's on the product is like ninety nine percent of the first one I have that I made. Uh, so that was, let's say, that was as close as I've come. But it's a simple part; it's just a buckle. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes good designs are simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm still a big fan of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a simple thing, but it in its own unique way, it's it it works. And it has some advantages, not in every condition, but a lot of the conditions that I find myself in, I'm happy to have it. Okay. All right. Next question from Jeffrey Bean. Hoji, you are one of my all-time favorite people to watch ski. You rock, paper, scissored for this massive Whistler jump in the old MSP film Push. (laughs) Hoji gives a fist pump on that. Jeffrey says, I was in college living in Utah and skiing regularly with some of the most talented local athletes. And at that time, when we saw that clip, we were floored. None of us were park rats per se, but I think up until that time, I don't think we'd seen a more intimidating jump. Question, what do you do mentally before a big hit, high consequence line, or something challenging and risky? I think no matter what our level of skiing is, we all have those mental barriers that we try to push past. Okay, this is a great question. I will ramble on probably far too long, but <laughs> the backstory of that jump is it's still a fun memory. It makes me smile when you mentioned it there. Um, it was kind of, that was at the tail end of my Whistler Park jump uh, contributions, I would say. But yeah, it was, uh, they had built that sweet jump and we all hit it and everyone was complaining that it was too small. And so we went down after shooting the first day and we came back the next day and that's exactly, they mitigated that situation, but (laughs) the result was too big. 
And uh, I was probably coming from filming, you know, backcountry skiing, pow, everything. And not I had, typically, a, even at that time, I hadn't been in the park at all, at all. And uh, I just remember watching everyone doing a million speed checks and and the the situation was becoming critical like it was the mood of the group was not not positive we don't know wins picking up all these things the doubt crept in globally to the all the athletes skiing snowboard athletes and meanwhile i don't i maybe did a couple speed checks but i was mostly just watching from different perspectives around the jump. And to me, I was like, I, th I think it, it looks actually like it, it's a good one. Look, I think I could see, see myself making that jump. And, uh, so I just said, Hey, I'm, I'll do a couple speed checks and open it up. And I just what I did. And I, did, I think the first one was like a giant rocket air shifty, the back scratcher we put in the hoji film and that was like homage to andrew shepherd the guy i grew up watching which i love that trick and uh i wasn't good enough even at that time to just send a big court three or 720 or something but it was still super fun and the the rush and the exhilaration and that was the the shot in the arm as soon as that happened it was just people sending i still remember bushy Side note, Bushy at the t never waxes. He's completely destroyed. Rocks, <laughs> rails, so slow. And he was start. He was like hundred feet above everyone, talking to his mom on the phone. He had his giant. He always had these like two liter water bottle, like old pop bottles. And then it's just Bushy dropping in, like hucking that, hang up the phone, hucks that, and and points it in. And I think one of his he did a switch double backflip. And he started so much higher than everyone else on the worst possible skis tuned bases you could imagine, but super impressive. Anyway, side note, that was a very good session. And, uh, huh. but to get to the point of the question, it's, uh, many of my memories of, of these kind of situations, not so many park jumps, let's say, but big airs, big lines. It's like, for me, I think, the big part of it is I have to see myself doing like I mentally get to the point, whatever, try to observe as much as I can. And I'm like, I can see myself do that. It looks, looks like exactly what I want to do. And, uh, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but, uh, that kind of perception and really, especially with line skiing and, and, complicated technical pillow terrain it's like it takes me a lot longer and i think even now i want even more time to really mm. to, to to see myself do it and i mean it's not a perfect formula by any means i've definitely been on top of things been like i'm not doing this <laughs> mm -hmm. i don't see myself doing it anymore <laughs> um but yeah it's that kind of challenge and uh it's this kind of mental game of you need the experience. You need to have done certain things. You need to be comfortable. You need to be confident, but not overconfident. And you need to be able to tr trust 
on your previous experiences and your previous decisions and your previous results to get to the next challenge, the next thing. And that's part of the, let's call it loosely an addiction, (laughs) but this kind of challenging yourself to the maximum of your, maybe even a little past your comfort zone, the maximum skill level, the maximum mental toughness and focus. Um, We've talked about this for sure before, but that, that kind of, and you know, it's the cliche, this kind of flow state, (laughs) that's what everyone's going for. And everyone finds it somehow, especially if you're into skiing and you just have those moments where it's like, Oh, that was it. And then, how do I get back there? How do I do it again? How do I do it better? How do, you know, what's the next thing? How do I get to there? Um, I don't know if that fully answers the question, well, but hopefully. <laughs> so it sounds like though, from, from that answer, I'd say it's a whole kind of constellation of things. It doesn't sound like you have a set, like I'm thinking of in basketball, right? Most people going to the free throw line to step up to shoot free throws sort of do the exact same thing every time. And it doesn't sound like you have, the question was specifically about um, what do you do mentally? It doesn't sound like you have this dialed in, um, you know, whether it's reciting certain mantras or a checklist of things that you're going through mentally. It's just this, a constellation of thinking through how are you feeling and paying like, taking all of those things into account is that correct yeah. as opposed to that set free throw line routine yeah I, I don't think maybe just my personality and also the environment i mean it's always it's so everything is it's not a basketball court <laughs> it's it's yeah, mountains right. exactly. and snow and i mean a big part of it is just getting to the point where you are comfortable in the environment you're in you're comfortable with the snow conditions the quality and the stability and that's a big start and that the, the more that you do it the more you realize that those aren't always in and it it takes a long time to sometimes to find that those days those moments where it's like stability is good weather's good i feel good we have a good objective and uh and then hopefully you have your kind of you fall into that routine of really getting inspire getting the information working with everyone whatever it is but yeah the main the thing that always is the constant is the visualization especially with skiing lines because you 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 can only really do it once or whatever and you you got to know like you got to be able to see yourself do it you got to be able to trust like i can make that turn right there and i'm not going to see anything but i'm going to see that next and uh, so that's part of it. Um, but yeah, I don't have like, put my left glove on, put my, you know, like I check my bindings yeah. and really make sure everything's dialed, but, um, it's not like a tap, tap my left knee three times or <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that. Not superstitious, yeah. I guess. I like that. It's not a basketball court. Yeah. Truer words were never spoken. Um, it was, by the way, really fun day for me because this morning, Marcus was going through sort of talking about some similar things, his approach, and he was talking specifically about skiing the Beck for 
you know, the last comp on the FWT. And like, so people get to hear you talk about your approach on Monday on our Blister podcast. They'll get to talk about Marcus's approach, like on the back and on lines, like when skiing the ultimate run. And he actually also talks about you and what he kind of learned from you. So we have like this fun constellation going on right now. But um, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. I'm going to have to um, check that out. Yeah, the, the back, that's a whole nother. I would, it would take me a long time. I, that's, that's something else. That's mad route. Have you ever skied? Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> your man, your your response right now is uh he he told an amazing anecdote which I, I'll save. We'll yeah, let yeah. people listen to that Monday. But um yeah, the way you are um reacting to even just mentioning the Beck and a story he tells about somebody else who had skied it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um okay. Yeah, that's the Beck. That's a big big <laughs> deal. Trifling. That's yeah, that's mad respect and that's really got to be one of the most difficult venues ever for winter sport. <laughs> Next question. Back to the gear questions. I guess that's fitting yeah. for gear 30. Um, from Chomsky. As you start each new season, which element of your setup gives you the most excitement to start your tinkering? Skis, boots, or bindings? And how much do you think of these things holistically rather than as separate tinkers? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, for sure. For several years now, the ski boot thing has been, yeah, I'm just really into that. I don't know. I just, I don't know exactly why, but I, I can't stop. I won't stop. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I think because now I have, it's in my ability to really manipulate things and get to the point and find, identify the problems, the things I don't like and get into those problems and start working on ways to improve those situations without causing hopefully more problems. Um, where bindings, yeah, I'm very limited. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that, because that, that actually changes in the coming years and skis, of course, it's super fun and we're always working on improvements and, you know, with the skin setup and all these, all these different aspects, but I can't go downstairs and like make a new pair of skis where I actually could go downstairs and well, after about 500 hours, make a new pair of ski boots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the boots are, are what I really am focused on. And I think about it all the time. And it, it probably drives the people around me crazy, uh, the, the ones close to me. But it's just, uh, uh, I can't stop. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Next question. Yes, we answered one quickly, kind of. <laughs> kind of this is a good one another boot question from eric w he says bodie miller on a past gear 30 episode gave an incredible description of the potential advantage of a well-designed three-piece boot particularly when skiing in off-piste conditions 
Is the Hoji Pro a three-piece or pseudo three-piece design? If you weren't skiing the Hoji boots, would you most likely be in a three-piece or a two-piece overlap boot? And what brand? Oh, yeah. No, this is fun. Actually, I, I love that. Uh, I listened to the Bodhi podcast that- and I got myself a pair of Reikley's uh, full tilts. <laughs> well, after, I was ki- after that. I was kind of, I mean, I had them when I was 12 years old. I skied them. I yeah. loved them. They were green and purple and black. And uh, <laughs> I wish I still had them. They probably were t- size 23 or four, so I wouldn't fit them anymore. But um and I heard in the whisperings that the full tilt of the, the direction is shifting a bit. And I just, after, I mean, the Reikley Flexon, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's, it came out the year I was born. It's either 1983 mm-hmm. or 1984. And they're still making virtually a very much the same boot. So to me, it's, why? <laughs> There has to be something, and and uh, I before I got involved with Dinafit, I was skiing in Del Bello uh, Kryptons, and that was since ski racing since I was a kid. The Reikleys were the last ones, but then I had several years in like pink langs and orange langs, and finally got new new boots for the first time in my life, the purple ones, and I used those for years and years. Um, so there'd been a big gap of four buckle overlap, and using a three-piece boot as a child uh so i got in in whistler here there, there's a shop that specializes in del bello and so i got some and i skied them quite a bit uh for a couple couple years even touring with alpine trekkers and i liked i did like them i i ended up taking cannibalizing those the tongues and putting them on my first pair of dina fit the franken boot the titans i cut off mm-hmm. the they had an overlap construction on the shell that was just bolted on and i put put tongues the telpello tongues you know and and the big thing is this kind of spring getting the flex in front of your leg in front of your shin um and not coming from the back structure of ski boot i mean the biggest difference is the three-piece boots the cuff in most cases isn't even fixed in the back to the shell i mean most of the three-piece boots with touring you look at the walk mechanism it's not a hook back there it's just a block so it's it's only preventing uh rearward force from folding the boot backwards and all the forward 90 high percentage of the forward flex is coming out of that tongue um that's super nice as i in my opinion has some very good characteristics and benefits if if you really look i remember a full tilt booth at ispo 10 years ago and they had it on the machine you know flexing i still have the video and what happens is the boot itself the structure of the boot unlike overlap boots four buckles the bolted on cuff in the back when it flexes when it's put under force the boot doesn't pop open to the sides on the rivets on the ankle rivets of the cuff where it's attached and you can take every 
four buckle overlap boot there is and really flex it on the floor with your arms and you can watch where the force goes because it's getting pushed through the pivots and amplified out whereas the the three-piece boot that doesn't that doesn't exist because the cup is moving so with all that in mind uh, the hoji boots as we know them now uh they're more along the lines even though they don't look like it but they are along the lines of the traditional four buckle alpine boot in the way that they work they're kind of in between actually uh the tongue on those boots is mostly to keep the snow out and uh, more in the new radical boot it 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 gives a better surface area on the top of the shin to kind of add to the the distribution of the force from your leg into the cuff um so the tongues on those on the hojis and the radicals i mean you can take it in your hand and it's not you're not getting flex out of the ski boot per se forward flex out of those tongues uh, and for any discernible amount that would uh, help you <laughs> but uh the mechanism of the hoji lock mechanism the way it works is on the inside of the cuff there's two stopping points that interlock with the sides of the upper portion of the shell and this is in a way kind of to represent an alpine boot how the cuff is secured to the the shell but the rear stopping point of the hoji lock mechanism is also not a hook so the cuff is able to um kind of be pushed forward under force and it because the system is preloaded it, its natural state is to return back uh to the position of the rear stopping point so you are getting this kind of the goal was to create this kind of flex that's what everyone's talking about everyone wants this progressive flex and get it through the material deformation um without having a big heavy duty tongue that limits your ability to walk and without try to get the force going into the shell in a way where it's not bulging out the, the ankle pivots and opening up your whole ankle pocket when you really flex the boot and i think the system is pretty good at that um there's always room to improve but when you look at how the the walk mechanism works the inside element linking into the upper portion of the shell it's directly above where the pivot the axis of rotation of the cuff is so when you input force into the cuff it's stop it's getting held by the upper portion of the shell and and if you look at that line instead of it pushing all of the force pushing forward into um the cuff pivots on the shell it's actually pulling the cuff pivots backwards so you don't have as much of this bulging out um motion and on top of that the nice thing about the way the mechanism integrates with the the shell and the cuff like you can really clearly see it if you take the liner out and you take a few different boots especially the ones with just like the simple hook mechanism on the back that's the industry standard because it's so easy to use it's cheap to make it's loose tolerances 
but you just twist that cuff in that shell and see what happens where the nice thing about the hoji system is the the inner element of the mechanism is holding the cuff to the shell and it's it has a lot of rotational stability um so <laughs> i don't know if i answered the question i like three-piece boots i like the tongue the other limiting factor i've found with that setup is you end up with a lot of hard edges all aligned on the front of your foot and it's a problem with the the hoji boots um with the three-piece design it can be easier to get in depending on your foot but then you have your liner edges of your liner edges of the tongue of the liner edges of the shell all lined up so in my opinion this is what causes a lot of aggravation for certain kinds of feet uh where an overlap traditional alpine boot you don't you don't have any any of those hard edges overlapping really you have the liner hard edges but they don't correspond with the shell at all so it's actually in a way can be more accommodating uh for different feet but you have to get your foot in there (laughs) so there's there's advantages and disadvantages to both and i've i've been lately a lot really because i've been trying everything last spring i skied in lang uh surefoot lang uh not quite plug boots but like the high-end alpine boots a lot i skied in the rightly full tilt and i was skiing in the hoji and the radical and I got zero G's and atomic hawks and like, I love just taking them all and, and really getting into it. And, and what, what is it I'm feeling? What is, what are these things? So I still don't think we've reached the top end because we have the right leaf that's the same age as myself and the Lang <laughs> overlap, which is older than that. And I think there's somewhere else we can go. And that's hmm. uh, one of the things I'm, non-stop thinking and working on as we speak but that's as much as i can say (laughs) (laughs) well done Uh, way to sort of tease it without yeah we're just gonna say well done mm -hmm. great answer Mm -hmm. yeah um but I've, i've i've learned a lot of actually because of my latest interactions with some new personnel that i'm working with that are involved with skiing and ski testing with the brand and because they are new and relatively young the best thing ever is to have to explain something to someone to teach them to show them why you are doing what you're doing and this is confirming things that you've already forgotten or taken for granted like why we did all this stuff in the last 10 years but and you don't even think about it, but it, it, it was like actually really refreshing. And uh, it kind of opened my mind up again to like things that I've just completely uh, just, yeah, it's just happening this way. And it's like, well, why is it happening this way? So this kind of reflection and and helping someone understand something that you've already learned a long time ago, hopefully, <laughs> could, could just be full of, yeah full of it but uh it was a good reflective period for me lately and and i think this is going to help me a lot moving on another prep for the upcoming season kind of question um what daily or weekly or seasonal routines 
allow you to perform at such a high level of skiing year after year? That question is from Bobak Fardzin. Okay. Well, I'm the worst case study because I've taken full advantage of just being uh, privileged enough to live a very active life. My work routine is my workout routine, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm pushing 40. This year is the big 4-0. And actually this summer, just due to all the work and circumstances, typically I've been mountain biking a lot every summer and going on, you know, longer rides, bigger. I love biking in the same style as skiing, like start somewhere and go to the top of a mountain and have a good time coming down. And these big kind of grinds, uh, not compared to like the good people, but for me, it's enough to, to (laughs) maintain some kind of like hardness and fitness and endurance. Um, this summer I, I didn't actually, I did bike quite a bit, but more, we had a wet, a, a very nice summer with a lot of moisture and a lot of snow at the beginning. So the, a lot of these kind of possibilities on a mountain bike weren't in season really. And then I I went away for quite some time for work and I was working, not biking. Um, but I've kind of reverted back to a simple, super quick workout of core, upper body strength. I, I'm still taking advantage of or taking for granted my legs are strong. Um, but I like doing all kinds of just trying to like, I think I need to get back into these explosive jumping, power, moving, all these kind of things. Um, and the core, all these different simple little things, ball workout, pull-ups and an L-sit, handstands, handstand push-ups, everything, handstand press, just to keep so my back doesn't explode. Uh, that's That seems to work for me for now, but I probably have to get more dedicated to that. But I've also been lucky to have the opportunity to join the free ride, the junior free ride club here uh, over the past few years for the dryland program. And just running drills in the soccer field and running alone or running trail mini trail run and stuff like that. So that helps too. But I'm going to have to, take it more seriously i think moving forward (laughs) is it just you and a bunch of teenagers yeah yeah it was uh it's it's super and the coaches the coaches is volunteer and everyone goes and the coaches run that's awesome and it's just yeah it's like a it's the right the right word this nostalgic i remember in Mm. ski racing and you know the older ski racers and thomas grandy and now thomas's nephew is there he's like the top kid and he's doing like back fulls and round offs and all this stuff and god i wish i remember i need to get my springs back (laughs) no but it's it's good that and that's a lucky thing to have that available but yeah Mm -hmm. some simple stuff would be what i recommend something i i literally did my workout five minutes before talking to you jonathan and it only took me 10 minutes but yeah, it, it's not that good of a workout, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a second. What'd you do? Okay, so this is actually, I think, a really interesting thing because a lot of us are busy. And so when Hoji has 10 minutes, what do you do for kind of bang for the buck? Uh, well, I started off on, and I mean, it's not that good. I, I started off on the, the hangboard or something and just tried to do as many 
full pull-ups with good control in an L-sit with my legs pointed straight in front of me. I think I got to like seven and a half. <laughs> but that's, that activates my core. And also, even though skiing, you don't think of your upper body, mm. but it's important. And then I came up here and I'm sitting on the ball. So I did, I think I made it almost to 20, like full roll out to full plank to pull your entire body in into a pike with your feet on the ball and then do mm -hmm. a big go back into plank and do a big push-up and that just like roast like if you can do that the next step which i haven't gotten to yet this year is you in between you roll the ball out laterally 90 degrees to mm -hmm. each side in between when you get to that then it's really happening and then I'm trying to maintain this ability to press into a handstand from the ground, which is something I think I first achieved. I tried it my whole life when I was a teenager, but it took me until about 19 or 20 till when I could do it. But I somehow maintained mostly through my life, but I'm getting to 40 here. I want to be able to do that. So I just, I've been doing all that kind of stuff. And then I just do the, bend you know like touch the ground touch the ground put your hands on the ground lean forward pick your legs up over your head <laughs> we really need this to be video at the moment but yeah <laughs> eric eric just went and did a handstand then, that was then well I done try and balance and then i walk walk it over to the wall and try and do as many handstand push-ups against the wall my dream is to be able to do a couple of handstand push-ups freestanding but Ooh. i have never made it that far but maybe maybe <laughs> how many are you doing against how many handstand push-ups against the wall can, now that i've been i've been doing this since the last um, two months hopefully almost every day but the best i made it to i think is eight and average is five pretty good ones but not full head touching the ground that's next level <laughs> gotcha. well you know you were the first guest we ever had on gear 30 and you are now also the first podcast we've ever done of any of our podcasts that got up and did a handstand in the middle of the conversation so just you're just stringing first all right i like it yeah no. but yeah don't follow um, my don't i'm not the example of there's a lot of very <laughs> serious people with very good workouts and I've just not been one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, um, the other thing, sorry, yeah. quickly. I mean, through my work, my job, literally, for the past, this will be the 12th year, I go and run these free ride camps at Century and Sunrise Lodge, Golden Alpine. Yeah. Huge plug there. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's literally, like, it's 18-hour days. You're moving, ever, helping everyone, moving all the gear, shoveling, helping the cook, moving food, doing the firewood, guides meetings, AM meetings, taking people out all day long, helping them skiing, taking back broken skis, bringing new skis, whatever it may be, skiing every single day, no matter what, from dawn until dusk, getting back, shoveling if you have to, helping the cook, doing the sauna, doing the wood, guide meeting, PM meeting, then boot fitting and setting up everyone's gear on the next for the next day. And I mean, I do that for like yeah, three, two, three weeks in a row, typically. 
every single day, no days off. And once, if you make it through that, even just moving everyone's gear through sometimes way steep snow from the helipad to the lodge, <laughs> if you're not strong by that, by that work yeah. shift, then I don't, I don't know what else, what, what you will be. So that's how I prepared for every season. And even though it's a lot of skiing, it's all ski touring. So it, it's typically come back from that, go on the ski hill and hit my first piece of hard snow and just fall over because I don't even remember how to edge anymore. <laughs> and my legs are dying skiing down the moguls because it's different, right? But <laughs> It's still different. Yeah. I think we should throw in another question from Marcus Sater. Okay. Um, actually, I think while Marcus was taking too long to think of questions for you. Mm. I just, I just uh, volunteered that I was going to ask you if you didn't hurry up. Uh, what's the dumbest thing you've seen Marcus do in the backcountry? Oh, I guess this could be a really funny story or pretty like, seriously, people don't ever go do this in the backcountry. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Marcus is a, I wish I had like one tenth of the talent that, that he has. And I think part of the reason he's able to do what he does and his personality is just his overall playfulness and joy and lighthearted and goofing around and joking and, and hmm. just having fun, you know, like this permanent youthful kind of charisma, let's say. And that is amazing and it's inspiring. And I mean, he's pushed me to do things I hadn't done in years. And just like, he's like, yeah, that's right. You can, you can still be a kid. You can still have fun. You can still do all this stuff. Um, but I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> yep. at some point you, I can't, I won't, I won't say any exact example but there have been times for sure when i wish the gravity of the situation and the seriousness of what's happening uh. would he would let it affect him like i'm on the opposite end of the, the spectrum as a 40 year old skiing with 20 year olds and i'm having a nervous breakdown because of the <laughs> stuff going on and that's my own fault for being a nervous wreck but when a guy like marcus who's kind of in the middle of the road he's not 20 years old and I, sometimes i wish that or i know it'll i hope it'll happen for him and i don't want to kill his playfulness and his youthfulness but this can lead if let's not say not paying attention but not like bringing it in and and uh acknowledging certain things that have happened or are happening in the live time that it's happening. It's easy once it's all said and done. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we, that, that's the, that's the short answer and nothing against Marcus. He's a dear friend and it's more of a, let's say advice if he takes it or not, but especially crossing over, He's at the age and he's established and he has all the experience and he is skiing with guys 10 years younger than and girls. Yeah. And they're going to start, they have to look, look to him. So yeah. like it or not, you can't just be goofing around the whole time when you get to that. 
situation, in my opinion, because you, you have to become a leader. You have to become more of a team player. You have to become less, you know, and I don't want to, it's not to kill the vibe or to, to anything against Marcus. And he's maybe not there yet because he's still putting out the ultimate run and he's the damn straight, one of the he's best so skiers good. that's ever skied in the world. Yep. And yep. Uh, so to be selfless isn't, you can't do that and, and be at the top. Like I'm clearly not the best skier in the world and never was. And <laughs> I recognize my place uh, when I'm working with the crews. So anyway, he, he did, we can cut it there and we can go to the second part of the answer. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he blindly this season went charging in and didn't, you know, he just like went for it and his superhuman ability and skill level on the next level, let him get away with this situation where he skied a line and the whole thing ripped. And like, it was, it was a weird situation where the group, everything was unclear what was happening. And we had kind of gotten like teased by the weather long enough and, and it just led, it was a trap. And uh, he got away with it, but we definitely talked debrief a lot about like, dude, like you're good enough, but what happens when you're good enough isn't good enough, you know? And like, that's, you can't just throw caution to the wind because you can just ski down it, anything at any time, no matter how much is sliding around you. So uh, I think he, we had a great debrief and time and discussion. And I think, we both appreciated that at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, first of all, lest anybody think we're knocking. No, no. The guy, the, it's, this is like, no, like he's so supremely talented for one. I mean, it's, it's like, it's hard to kind of fathom. Two, I think he's such a thoughtful person actually. Yeah. And, and he says some things, people can go listen to this on Monday First of all, he talks about some of your conversations with him. I already mentioned that. He also talks about, in his defense, a kind of pressure that he was putting on himself to do the spectacular thing. And I think in fairness to him, like hear him out when he's yeah. when he talks a little bit about this. He's he's learning too. We're yeah, all learning. Yeah. We all better be learning. And he's so supremely talented, but also I think feels like a pressure that maybe comes along with that. And so um, anyway, long and short, it, this, I, we're in a funny situation. Like uh, he'll tell his side uh, of some of this, I think on Monday. And, and um, I don't think he would disagree with anything you've said. And, you know, it's mutual respect between the two of you for sure. And uh, anyway, um, and I, I love it because I think for the rest of us in the, very mere mortal category. It's just always good to be hearing anybody talk about their process or what we all should be thinking about when we go out there. Um, at whether, even if the NAR level is closer to one than 11, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate these conversations and, um, I think they're important that we sort of have them and hear from people doing it at really high levels. And, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I agree a hundred percent. And I mean, that's part of, I mentioned it earlier. It's like this evolution and self 
learning and journey and progress like and to reflect on uh, the this conversation we're just having is like i shouldn't be forcing what worked for me on him you know like i can show him i can tell him i can explain why but he ultimately has to do exactly what he has to do what he feels and the this pressure to when you're really at the top and you are i mean like it or not he is this status or target like he's he's the goat he's the guy Mm. and uh that is that can be a very uncomfortable and fatiguing Mm. and dangerous situation exactly Mm. and i've had small taste of that every random time but not like him and uh he's a special special human that's for sure Mm. but uh Mm. i really appreciate that we've gotten to come to know each other and be friends and ski ski with each other and hang out and uh yeah none of this i mean it's hard we're in a strange situation talking about different conversations (laughs) that are going on but i think uh, uh him and i are very much in a in a very good friendship and uh we're learning from each other all the time and mostly i'm just learning how far gone i am my chances of being <laughs> stop it stop it yeah. okay changing topics yeah. um another question from bobak uh talking about gear modifications and he just says what is your process if you have a process how do you start what do you try to change and then this part i want to underscore how do you know when you reach what you wanted this is getting uh really deep here (laughs) i mean yeah it's getting getting started is really can be the most difficult thing because you have to pay attention or somehow you have to why would you do any of this you know i've said it many times and i understand why they just do it like this now because i've been wasting months trying to go around all this and but what is the point? Why are, as said it before, and I'll say it again, and I think the best people in, in industry or in design and engineering, it's like really getting, cutting through all the, everything and finding what it is. What is the problem? What, why isolating it, getting rid of, you know, like all the variables, all this, like getting information, trying to, it's such a, especially uh, let's say with ski boots, it's like something you're wearing. It's very personal. It's very weird. It's got to flex and bend, but it's got to be stiff. It's got to be totally free for walking and then only flexing a certain way. And like, there's so many strange things about it. Uh, it's really hard to, to find the problem. I mean, everyone says the problem, but like, why is that the problem? What is causing this to be the problem and that can be sometimes very obvious or you think it could be and other times you think you might know okay yeah that you identified something but it's just a it's a not even close so um i think the longer the more that i've done with this kind of stuff it's like just just how do you get there how do you find it how do you figure it out how do you 
what's your starting point to just to start the process to get started that's that's really uh the, the key um from there uh it's really easy to let's say get around maybe you find some some potential idea solution but that can't be the end of of what you're doing because it's just it sometimes yes it might you might have just boom like that but a lot of the time you're actually just opening up many more problems i would say or you you are in, in enthusiastic with what you've done but is that it is that did you really <laughs> drive it home did you try did you just stop with the first thing so um that can be tough everyone loves a solution everyone loves you know solving something and uh i think it's the the goal to just not they say it all the time don't fall in love with your solution your first solution yeah. whatever solution it may be like you got to keep going and uh and then really it's the testing it's really putting in the time testing testing ski testing snow testing whatever the gear whatever you're using whatever you're working on and not just you testing that's big problem i have mm -hmm. is like you got to give it you got to get it out somehow yeah. into a wide user group range of skills abilities demands requests whatever uses and 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 then be diligent enough to catalog and quantify the information that they're providing and somehow piece that together in a coherent way to allow you to continue <laughs> i don't know if i cut we kind of went i went on a tangent there but <laughs> let's go well, back to the question <laughs> well yeah so the and i kind of wanted to emphasize the last part of it which was how do you know when you reach what you wanted yeah i mean that's either a very dumb question or an incredibly deep question bobak i know he's really really smart so we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt that this is like the deeper question yeah and i mean that's that's going into what I was all the, the verbal diarrhea I just mentioned is like, yeah, you somehow you have to quantify what you've done through a bunch of people and yourself and verify through real testing that it is providing something better. And, hmm. but I mean, really the end, I don't, I, I hope I never find the end. I hope I never, yeah. I mean, this even all this stuff going on it's like if you if you truly feel like that's it then your job is done and your yeah. time is done and your the amount that you move the needle is that's it so um i think you yeah it's like you get you okay you made some progress and you try like skis and boots boots especially it's but it's like I'm not, I'm not happy. I, I mean, it's, I'm very happy. I'm not a hundred percent satisfied with mm -hmm. where it's at because I, 
the more information, the more time, the more I'm around all these people using that stuff. And I see all the little things I, 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 cal- I, I keep, they keep adding up and I keep that, that drives the fire that fuels the fire to like, okay, well, it's good. Yeah. It's be- it, somehow we made something, let's say it's pushed forward in one direction, but yeah, now we have all these other, there's more problems now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's more yeah there's more things to continue and uh i hope it never ends i mean one day <laughs> but i don't see that happening now right i mean for for yeah. skis for me it's harder well, let's go there um i don't know anyone else who's skis are looking very much like they did in 12 years ago <laughs> mm. <laughs> but we have we continue to make small polished changes, improvements and, and things like that. But it, it's harder in, in that respect to like find it, the really the big problem of, of that gear and what it's intended to do something that I could really tackle, uh, head on and, and try and understand because at the moment, uh, and for quite some time, I'm very happy with yeah. never perfect, never satisfied, but um, I'm having a harder time or I'm not harder time. It's more difficult for me to really get into something that's making me want to change uh, what I have and what's working. And I mean, it's also, I just love, I love those skis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think there's a number of us out there who agree. I know so many Renegade fans. If I was skiing more deep powder all the time, I would be on that ski more personally. I talk a lot about the Raven. You know, I think the most recent update or iteration of the Hoji is an update I'm personally very happy with. So, you know, and I, I think. It's not to answer Bobak's question, but there's also something. One of the things we hate is like when companies just change shit for the sake of changing it. And we're like, just please don't do that. Unless you clearly can improve on something, then please don't. And we've just seen over the last 12 years enough times where it's like, thank you. You just made that worse. And, And like, we can't actually identify like, okay, but at least it's better over here. So there's some trade-offs. It's like, nope, we just actually think the thing got worse. Yeah, I mean, so it's a problem with consumerism and marketplace. <laughs> like everyone needs to validate their own job and 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 do something, but maybe not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and yeah. this kind of every year new stuff. Like uh, certainly, in in some respects, that's not always going to lead in the right direction uh as you just described um and i think was especially with skis to really get into it you are gonna have to have the manufacturing capabilities and the personnel with real life composite engineering and and really to to push forward in the right way i think or let's in a way in a good way is 
to to try and achieve these different performance attributes with one thing damping lightweight power transfer stiffness in the right directions and all all of those aspects don't share a baseline of like this works good for everything there's such different things and uh that's that's the new playing field uh in my opinion that there's a lot of room and there are people doing it it's it's not that it's said that it's not being done but i think that's where the big room to play in in ski design is is going to be um because i think we've you know we my time this our time was we went from nothing we went from like you look at the the skis these two you know i'm skiing on 198 gs skis when i was 14 years old and 60 whatever seven mils wide and like that was the top that was the best and in the and in in like one decade it we went through that golden age of just like everything everyone could try upstarts the industry's grown like it was so such a cool time but now you know it went from this experimental phase back to like the things that really worked that weren't just fancy designs or innovation driven somehow like skis are skis now they're all different mm-hmm. they're they're not it's not to be said they're all the same but like no they definitely aren't but the the, but. the, the dimensions and the types and the like the 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 outline parameters the shapes and stuff are it it it's not as experimental as as it once that's was. right that's, that's, we're in a period of kind of consolidation and, po- and people polishing <laughs> polishing that's a better word not not consi- not consolidation but polishing in different categories right so it, i hate you know when people are like whatever skis are good today just go get on anything i'm like i do not believe that that is true at all no. and i think we still actually get on more skis than maybe anyone out there yeah. so like that's just not true but i do th- think i would agree with you that among if it's like i'm looking for an all mountain ski you know a directional all mountain ski i think that category is more polished mm-hmm. maybe that it's been if you're looking for a dedicated front side ski or a front side ski that actually can do you know carves well but actually is quite good in moguls you know like i think the categories all we've seen more polish than ever mm-hmm. um no it's yeah. it's a good time it's a good time to be a skier and the, just the, the it's so cool the the approach the this i mean techniques that di- just like the way people all this all these advancements over the past decade two decades have, have made this sport okay yeah it made it easier somehow but it also pushed it so far beyond what anyone would ever think possible yeah and just yeah. what the top athletes in free ride, this hybrid, playful, butter, spin, jump, land, next, next, next. Like, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's things I never, even if I dedicated my whole, as I say that to people when I'm filming them, I'm like, nice run, bro. 
even if I tried that all year long, I'd never make it. <laughs> that was just like your warm up run for today. <laughs> yeah. I need to let you get going. Yes. Um, last, last member question for now. Also from Bobak, actually. Are you coming to the Blister Summit? Will I get to ski with you? Yes. And I hope so. Yes, we will get to ski <laughs> together. I mean, I'll be there for yeah. a few days and uh, I hope I get to ski with as many people who want to go skiing as possible. And uh, yeah. yeah, really looking forward and super excited to to be lined up this year, finally. <laughs> mm. So, okay. We will do our blister after hours at some point. We will see you here in Crested Butte in February. In between all of that stuff, let's see, what's, what's your program? Are you going to be around Whistler primarily now, or are you actually about to start bouncing around quite a bit? Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I'm hoping to be in Whistler pretty full time for just under a month now, just spend some time at home and uh yeah get prepared got a lot a lot going on um but yeah come end of november i'll be doing starting with the camps and uh, a little bit of holiday time there like everyone else Mm -hmm. week or so and then uh yeah beginning of january is unclear exactly at the moment but probably some filming and then yeah straight over to europe uh early mid-january boot testing progress all that kind of stuff and then right into our Terex, uh ski academy in saint anton and directly from there to the ski academy in vancouver or in whistler here and directly from there coming down to see see you guys to the blister awesome. summit and uh after that maybe i'll have to take a weekend off or something <laughs> i don't know we'll see uh i'm sure it'll be called into some filming uh, straight away but uh yeah it's uh not a bad problem but yeah hmm. lots going on a lot busy busy times so uh hmm. make the most of it and try and say yes to everything except <laughs> saying yes to too many things <laughs> good. good luck yeah uh maybe maybe our next conversation you advise me on how to do that or yeah um yeah it's uh but it, we're so, pr- I mean, we're so lucky in the modern yeah. world and all these things and our jobs and yeah. <sighs> just, you, every time you feel overwhelmed, you just, I just have to think about that and then realize you're, you're not even working. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey man, on that note, I will let you go and uh, always fun. Yes. And no, uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, appreciate it and um yeah good luck with the start of the season uh we look forward to having you here in cb and uh we'll talk to you real soon okay thank you all right well it is time now for our weekly what we're celebrating segment and this week what i'm celebrating i mentioned it in this conversation with hoji my first shoveling of the driveway of the year Happened today, Thursday, October 27th. It wasn't the first snowfall here in CB, but it was my first day to actually break out the shovel and move snow. That's a good sign. And I am so excited to make turns. So 
in honor of the first snow shoveling of the year, I'm going to be breaking out a bee's knees cocktail made with Bar Hill Gin. Now, if you have not checked out our Crafted podcast, you should do so. This past week, we dropped an episode with the president and head distiller at Bar Hill. I say it in that podcast, Bar Hill Gin might currently be my favorite product in the world. You know, it just might be. Uh, So tonight, I'm going to be having some Bar Hill Gin in the form of a Bee's Knees cocktail. We're celebrating snowfall. It's a good time. It is a good time. So that's what we got. And that's what we're celebrating. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks once again, and as always, to Hoji. And you know what? We should actually put a link to all of our past episodes with Hoji that we've done here on Gear 30, just so you can have them all. They're all kind of incredible. So if I don't forget, I'm going to put those links in the show notes of this episode as well. And again, don't forget, sign up for our Blister Summit. Well, first, become a Blister member so that you then get a discount on the Blister Summit. Then come to the Blister Summit in February here in Mount Crested Butte. Meet Hoji. Ask him questions yourself. Go ski with him. Pretty good. So, yeah, do that. And then I also, of course, want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you, of course, for listening. From our entire team here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will catch you this coming Monday over on our Blister podcast for an amazing conversation with, well, you heard Hoji say it, probably the best skier on the planet, Marcus Ader. So catch that on Monday over on our Blister podcast and have a great weekend, everybody.